0: What is prayer, stale tradition, ritual, a good luck charm, part of some religious checklist done to appease a higher being so we can get what we want or at least avoid the lightning bolt. Prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused, but at its essence, prayer is simply talking to God the god who spoke the universe into creation who gives us life and breath who holds all things together this god wants us to talk to him in the vastness of all that exists he actually cares about us personally individually how can we not pray to such a loving god That's a marvelous thought uh, that the God who created the heavens and the earth has made himself known to us and says, know me, come to me, talk with me. That's pretty incredible. Before we get to our text for today, let me talk about our life together as a church family. Um, We have always... Always, we have so many things going on in our church family. I just want to draw your attention to a few of those. Uh, impact camp for our students. They leave tomorrow. We are already a bunch of our students. That's right. That's right. A bunch of students left yesterday, um, but the rest of you will leave. To- what time tomorrow do y'all leave? 9.30. 9.30, you will get on the road to in- impact camp. Following impact camp, is VBS. Folks, summer is here. And we want to be prayerful. We want to come to the Lord with boldness, asking for His grace over those things. And we're praying for students this week uh, that God will continue to nudge and shape their journey of faith, that they would take new steps of great faith in Jesus as they strive to follow hard after Him every single day of their life. So we're praying for you guys. Um, also, we're, we are. In this series of prayer, we're launching an initiative, uh, a tool called Bless Every Home. And Bless Every Home is an app that encourages you uh, to pray for your literal neighbors right around you. And so you download this app, and as a tool, it identifies the neighbors right around you and then prompts you with an actual prayer to pray for them. It is like the easiest tool to remind you to pray by name for your neighbors. Now the aim is to pray for them that God would be at work in their life and then for you to posture yourself to bless them and to bring Jesus to them. And so if that is something, now let me reword this. We want every single one of you um, to bless every home right around you in your literal neighborhood. We have these flyers in the back that give instruction on how to do that. There's a QR code on the screen. We want to encourage every single member of our church family to be strategically, ambitiously prayerful for their neighbors. We're called to make disciples. And we believe this is one way uh, that we can challenge and equip one another to do that by being prompted to pray for our neighbors. So do that, pick that up. I'll remind you at our close to pick this up on your way out so you can uh, download that tool. Lastly, but not least, I have the privilege of introducing uh, Gabriel Dupree to you. Now, if you are not aware and you're wondering why Ethan hasn't been here the past two weeks, well, he and Melissa just had a new baby little boy and we rejoice with them. Again, we're reminded of God's goodness and beauty and new little life and his promise. So um, I'm gonna say, Ethan, I know you're watching right now. And, and Melissa, oh, they said, hey, and we rejoice with you and your family and God's goodness. We praise the Lord for Gabriel's little life and his brothers and sisters' lives too. So we rejoice in that. Well, again, if, if you're brand new here, my name is Danny Panter. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at First Baptist Church. Have the privilege of preaching in this space and uh, leading in this venue. Um, our mission in the First Baptist family is to faithfully follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with him. And we believe that. And we wanna get better at that. Oh, actually, they're in here. I just realized they're like, they're right here. How could I have missed that? Hey, Dupreeze. Hey, Dupreeze. But we wanna get better at leading others in a joyful life with Jesus. And uh, we wanna encourage all of you to be a part of that good work that God has called us to. And our mission statement is a reminder of that every single day. But if you are new here, uh, we would love to know that you're with us worshiping. You can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash connect. That's the simplest way to say, I was with you worshiping today and we will commit to follow up with that at a later time. Also, we want to encourage you to continue to give through this church family to join God in what he is doing in all the city and the nations. And you can do that simply by going there or we have little boxes scattered throughout our uh, sanctuary and as you leave today, you can put that giving there as well. Well, we are talking about prayer. Uh, last week, we were in Ephesians. This week, we are in Second Thessalonians. This morning, uh, because of the situation of the Thessalonians, the, the church in Thessaloniki, um, it is a guide for us to pray for those who are in the middle of struggling. And so the question I want us to ask ourselves is And be informed from the word of God this morning is, how ought we to pray for those who are hurting and suffering? Um, And I think that is a valuable, a valuable question for us to do, ask, and for practically for us to pray, because all of us know people who are hurting. There are many of you in this room who are hurting. How ought we to pray when we are struggling or for those who are struggling? Well, with that said, would you stand with me, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3 in 2 Thessalonians. Let's read this with one another. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. Pray, too, that we will be rescued from wicked and evil people, for not everyone is a believer, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one, and we are confident in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we commanded you. May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you bless your word in us and through us, we need it. Help us to see, hear, and put what you ask us to do into action on our life. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said amen. Amen. You may be seated. What I love about Paul's teaching when it comes to prayer is that he practices what he teaches. And last week, he reminded us or taught us that prayer is something that we can do everywhere and always. There's never just a special occasion that's set aside just for prayer. In fact, he says, I just wanna destroy all of those boundaries. God calls us to come to him with boldness everywhere and always because he's always on the move. We should be a prayerful people. And he puts it into practice. We see that in this beginning of this final little section, in this little letter, where he asks for prayer requests, makes declarative statements about what God is up to, and then just automatically just starts weaving in prayer. He didn't have to stop and say, all right, now I'm about to pray, and let's dim the lights. He just starts doing it. And I love how he goes from prayer requests just to praying anywhere and always. That's uh, beautiful, beautiful. But what we find in Paul's prayer requests and prayer, we discover that they are based on two very important realities about God and his kingdom. Another way to say it is that when Paul begins to pray or asks for prayer, it, it, it's based on a firm foundation of really important truths. It's it's really like a good ice cream. And this is not me trying to diminish the value of prayer, but listen, a good ice cream has to have a really good base. How many of y'all have made ice cream before? Several of you. If you don't get the base right, it just doesn't mix well, it doesn't freeze right, and it just doesn't taste great on the other side of it. And so a good base is essential to good ice cream in the same way that a good base and foundation in prayer is valuable to praying. And Paul comes to prayer with two very important realities of God. The first one that we find um, in verse one and in other places in 2 Thessalonians, but in verse one it says, finally dear brothers and sisters, We ask you to pray for us. There's the prayer request, the start of the prayer request. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. When he came to Thessaloniki the first time, preached in the synagogue, taught in the synagogue for a while, there was a response from both Jew and Gentile to the gospel that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and he's referring to that, that You responded to that, but his request is continue to pray that that message which found a home in you will continue to spread rapidly. And so this is the first base or foundation for Paul's praying and prayer requests, and that is God's kingdom. We talked about this last week. Paul's prayer requests and praying is always connected to what God is doing when he asks for prayer for himself, when he prays for the Thessalonians or the Ephesians, he prays in such a way that he connects to their, their life and circumstances in the moment to what God is doing. And so for Paul, one of the bases or foundations of prayer is I pray the kingdom of God. It's my orientation. That's one of the reasons that I come. When I come to God in prayer, I pray with that kind of kingdom orientation. We see that also in chapter one, verse 11, where he says, so we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Kingdom orientation, that's his first foundation or base to praying and prayer requests. The second one is this, is God's grace. When Paul thinks about prayer, he approaches prayer with the understanding is the reason we pray is that God does the work. And by his grace, God is the one that strengthens, encourages, sustains, provides Paul doesn't, he's not asking the Corinthians to just get their faith together and pull up their bootstraps and just, just to gut just it out. No, he says, God will. God will do that. We see that in verses three and four. In verse three, he says, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And we are confident In who? In the Lord, that you are doing and will continue to do the things we commanded you. You, We commanded you. Paul's confidence, this is the reason he prays, is not because he's confident in the Thessalonians, but he's confident in the God who is at work in the Thessalonians, that by his grace, he's doing something in them and he will sustain them and strengthen them, encourage them, make a way for them to stand. Stand fast. We, we see this also when Jesus' brother, when Jesus' brother says words like this, his final prayer in Jude chapter 24, Jude verse 24, now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling. Who is able to keep you from falling? God is. That's the kind of confidence in Paul's prayer. That's that foundation. I, I pray, I call you to pray because we are confident that God Does he'll do the work by his grace? You're you're not only saved by grace, you are sustained by grace, you are transformed by God's grace. At the end of the day, when the Thessalonians have endured to the very end, they look back on their life, and others look back on their life, and they don't say, Oh, look how well the Thessalonians did. They say, Look what God did. That's the foundation of Paul's prayer. So, those two. Foundations for Paul's requests and praying is God's kingdom, God's grace. But how does he pray? So he transitions from prayer requests and those declarative statements about the work of God on behalf of the Thessalonians into actually praying over the Thessalonians and that begins in verse, well, there's a, he actually has another prayer request and then he'll move into praying for them in verse five. But the second prayer request that Paul has is in verse two. He says, pray to, pray also that we will be rescued from wicked and evil people for not everyone is a believer. Now it's important to know what's going on in Thessaloniki that Paul is empathizing with here. The Thessalonians were struggling We know that right out of the gate in chapter one, um, where Paul addresses that they are going through significant persecution uh, from both the Jewish community that were opposed uh, to Jesus and Paul and from the Gentile community. They were, as we said last week, were in the thick of it. They were in the middle of a battle. They were experiencing incredible persecution. They were struggling. We also have testimony from the book of Acts that chronicles um, Paul's journeys to all these different cities. And so we have, we have this, this history of Paul going into Thessaloniki and he does what he normally does. He goes and begins teaching in the local synagogue. And the testimony is, is that many from that synagogue, those Jewish people and God-fearing Greeks Responded in faith in Jesus, but there is a whole host of them that were livid that were jealous of this response, jealous of paul that 's the words that Luke uses in Acts chapter seventeen, um, but they respond by taking them to the magistrate in the city and say, Listen, Paul is a troublemaker he 's pulling them away from worshiping Caesar, not to mention he 's running the local economy, and the, he, they were stirring they were accusing Paul of stirring things up, but they were stirring things up. They went to jason 's house, one of these one of those that would come to faith um, in paul 's message, and they would pull him out of the house and take him before the magistrate. Um, they experienced persecution Now we don't know all that that entailed after Paul left because they snuck him out of Thessaloniki, but they were so committed uh, to this 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 persecution that they follow, a group of them follow Paul to the next city and tell the next city, hey, don't listen to this Paul. But they were struggling. They were struggling. And we really wrestle with identifying with this kind of persecution, right? I mean, let's just be honest, we're not there. We, we don't know what it means to struggle for our profession of faith, per se. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if a comment on a post on Facebook really counts as persecution. Um, we know that persecution likely will come to, to the Western world, but right now we, we struggle with identifying with that kind of heated persecution that likely the, the Thessalonian Christians were facing. I remember when I uh, first uh, first made it to the former Soviet Union. We lived in Moscow for a little bit and then we landed for about a year in Minsk, Belarus, and I met uh, Brat Konstantin. He was the senior pastor of the church in Minsk there, but we later found out that, because he didn't share this story with us, but Konstantin spent over 10 years in prison just for being a leader in the church. We don't know what that's like. I remember my friend, um, Piotr, who would tell stories about how he would be at home and there would be these different knocks on the door throughout the day asking where his dad is because his dad was a deacon in the church. We don't know what that's like. We don't know what that's like. There are many in our world that do. We wrestle with identifying with that kind of struggle but Paul knew what it was like. Paul knew exactly what that kind of suffering was like. That's why that prayer request says, Pray, too, that we will be rescued from wicked and evil people. This is Paul saying, I know right where you are. I know you're hurting. I know you're struggling. I know you're suffering. And I've tasted that, too. Will you pray for us that we, too, would be rescued from wicked and evil people? This is Paul saying, I want you to know that we get it. We get it that life is hard following Jesus. Were there too. But Paul requests specifically for rescue in verse two. But I want you to notice how that request is connected to the kingdom. And it, what I mean by that is Paul's request is not primarily aimed at alleviating their suffering. And that's a worthy prayer to ask. Alleviating suffering, removing hardship, Uh, And pain and struggle is a worthy prayer request. We know Paul prayed that in his own life when he talked about that thorn in his side. He prayed three times, Lord, take it from me. Take it from me. God said, no, I'll give you grace that is sufficient for you in your weakness. And I'll be glorified in your weakness, but I'm not gonna remove that thorn. But it is perfectly appropriate in our prayer life as hurting people to go to the Lord and say, will you take this from me? It hurts. But that's not where Paul's prayer request ends. He has this little phrase at the end of verse two where he says, for not everyone is a believer. What Paul is praying for is the removal of opposition in order to fulfill his first prayer request is may the word of God spread quickly. But Paul is saying, listen, will you pray that That the wicked and evil people, those who are opposing us, because not everyone believes there are people that are standing in our way, that are directly opposed, creating hardship and boundaries for the gospel to spread. And so the purpose of Paul's prayer request to remove wicked people is kingdom-oriented, I want want the message to advance. I want the opposition to, to loosen their strongholds. I want to move with the gospel. It's similar to what Jesus would pray in John chapter 17, verse 15. Remember this beautiful priestly prayer where he's praying for his disciples? But he prays this. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. He's already told us And I'll quote the verse again in a little bit, that in the world you will have trouble. And even Jesus prayed, I'm not not asking you to remove them from trouble. I'm asking you to protect them from the evil one. Keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Even Jesus prayed, they're still in the world on mission. They, They have a kingdom orientation just Tear down the opposition so that the gospel can spread quickly. And so how ought we to pray for someone or even for ourselves or a church that is struggling and hurting? It might sound something like this. Lord, don't let their struggle and suffering in a broken world silence their testimony or get in the way of what you're doing. And if you can, take it all away from them. Take all the suffering and hurting, remove it. But but if the hurting remains in the middle of it, in the thick of it, when it hurts the most, may their testimony of their love and affection for your son Jesus ring all the more clearly. In verse five, Paul prays another particular way. This is his, again, I said, jumping into his praying for them. In verse 5, he says, May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes for, from Christ. So he has the request of removing, rescue them from wicked and evil people because of opposition. He trusts the Lord that He will strengthen them and then guard them from the evil one, and then he says, "May the Lord lead your hearts into full understanding and expression of the love of God." Paul is praying that they have understanding and that the fullness of God's love is expressed in their life. Two very important prayer requests. When he talks about understanding, he's referring to that they understand what God is doing, the truth that the Thessalonians know the truth and hold on to the truth. Now, something else that we know that was happening in the Thessalonian church was that there was no small amount of theological confusion. They had some significant questions. They were hurting. They were suffering. They were being persecuted because they were trying to hold on to Jesus in real life. But they had one or two that sprung up in the church that began to teach You know, Jesus has already come, don't you? Jesus has already returned, and he's left you behind. Can you imagine the distress that that would create? And so they had significant questions, and that had its own own ramifications. They were like, why were we left behind? Why were we forgotten? If Jesus really came back and you promised he was coming back, Jesus said he was coming back, the angels said he was gonna come back by the testimony of the apostles and we're still suffering and we're hurting, Where did Jesus leave us behind? And so Paul is praying, I want, I'm praying that by God's grace, you'll have a clear picture and understanding of what's really going on. I, I want you to understand so that you can interpret the events around you. This is Paul, Paul saying, I want you to know that your hurt and your suffering doesn't mean God has left you. Man, we need to hear that sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we need to hear in the midst of our hurt and suffering your suffering does not mean God has left you. And so Paul wanted them to have that kind of understanding to be able to interpret their events based upon the truth that God has given them. And even for us, understanding helps us interpret what's happening in our own circumstances, right? Understanding knowledge of what God is doing, and what he promises, helps us to move forward in the midst of our circumstances. Now, several years ago, um, I, I woke up with, well, I woke up with subtle pain that in, it led to incredible pain. I had a kidney stone, never had one in, in my life. I was on the floor. It was horrible. Some of you know what, what that's like. And um, I kind of guessed as to what it was that knowledge helped. Me kind of guessing as to what might be going on in my body helped me, even in those moments, kind of deal and cope with it. But as I was able to go to the doctor and then meet with my doctor and then anticipate a procedure, all of that knowledge and understanding helped me interpret what was happening to me. And so that night before the procedure where they were gonna remove that stone because there was no other way to get it out of my body, I, I was on the floor the whole evening, just excruciating pain. But what was helpful was knowing what it was, what was happening, it wasn't a mystery, and knowing that tomorrow morning that pain was gonna be gone knowledge and understanding of my circumstance and interpreting those events and knowing what was coming was incredibly helpful for me to be able to press on and hold on. And that's true for them. That's why Paul is praying. I'm praying that the Lord gives you the fullness of understanding so you can interpret these events that Jesus has not returned yet. He has not left you behind and there's still a promise looming That one day there will be no more fear, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more brokenness. But until that day comes, will you understand and interpret your circumstances and hold on. Paul also prays for the full expression of the love of God. May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God. What does that mean? For Paul, listen, for Paul, the measure of answered prayer is not our comfort, but our love for others in the midst of discomfort. Let me say that again. For Paul, the measure of answered prayer is not comfort or alleviating suffering, that's a worthy prayer to ask for. But his measure of God's faithfulness and answering prayer is not getting doing away with the suffering and comfort coming, but it is our ability by God's grace to fully express God's love to others in the middle of that struggle, that pain, that hurt. 1st John chapter 4 verse 12 and I'll just paraphrase it. The apostle that whole chapter he's talking about God is love and he talks about the nature of God's love. We know that God loved us and that he sent his son. God is the prime mover of love. But then he says something like this. He says, "No one has ever seen God. But God's love is perfected in us." What what John is aiming at is although None of us has seen God face to face. We can experience the love of God through one another as it is perfected in us. Make sense? And so that's what Paul is praying for here. He's saying, I want you in the middle of of your worst days of the suffering and the persecution from your enemies, when it comes the hardest, I want you to be able to express the love of God the clearest. I want you to be able to love boldly even your enemies in your worst days. And we need that too, don't we? Y'all know people like this. Y'all have been around them that you know they're hurting, they're in pain. It might be cancer, it might be some other situation and yet they love boldly the people around them. And and it's a marvel to us that they express love so fully with everything that's happening in their life. We're like, how does that happen? Because God does. It, it screams loudly the work of God in their life, the testimony of Jesus at work in them. And that's what Paul is saying. I, I want you to be able to fully express the love of God in your life in all circumstances, even when life is hard. That's my prayer for you. Jesus prayed this way. In John 17, verse verses, uh, verse 17, he says, as far as understanding goes, he says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. He says, I want the apostles to understand the truth. And then in verse 26, when he prays for love, he says, I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. As they're in the mix of things in the world, I want my love to be in them and expressed fully. That's how Jesus prays for them. So how might that prayer sound like for someone that we know or even a church or ourselves that are in the middle of hurt and suffering, suffering? It might sound something like this. Father, I know John is facing adversity at work. But even when all that is going on, lead him to love boldly the people around him. Despite all of that opposition in the workplace, Will you lead him to love even those who oppose him boldly? Maybe that's how that prayer would sound. Lastly, Paul prays for patient endurance that comes from Christ. Interesting wording. Paul says, and by the way, lead them to stick it out to the very end, standing strong in their knowledge of what is true, that understanding while they're loving boldly, just like Jesus did, just like Jesus did. In fact, I think Paul is saying that that kind of gutsy, grace-fueled, love-filled endurance can only come from Jesus, it can only come from Jesus. When Jesus was trying to encourage his disciples knowing that the cross was coming and the resurrection and then his ascension when he would no longer physically be with them. He would tell them, listen, I know, I know that in the world there is trouble, but you can take peace. I have overcome the world. He's talking about his righteousness, his, his defeating of every sin and temptation And forgiveness that we have in the cross, but he says, I have overcome the world. We can endure because of that reality. And that's what Paul is saying. I I want them to be able to endure to the very end with understanding and lovely, loving boldly. And that comes from Jesus. And so praying, what kind of how would that sound if we were praying for someone in that? situation. Well, it might sound something like this. Father, I don't know how long the adversity John is facing is gonna last. Don't know how long it's gonna last. But will you help him if that circumstance doesn't change? Will you just help him to stick it out to the very end? And will you empower him by your grace to love boldly and do all of that with understanding to know you're at work regardless of what he's feeling? They stick it out. Just like Jesus stuck it out with a joy set before him, he endured the cross. There was no part of Jesus' life that was easy and cozy when he walked the earth. And yet he faithfully endured until the very end. In fact, the writer of Hebrews would say, no one endured like Jesus. Jesus resisted temptation and sin to the point of his death on the cross. No one has endured. Done that like Jesus did that, but Paul says, I'm praying for that kind of steadfastness and endurance on behalf of the Thessalonian church. Will we pray that for one another? Will you pray for your friends, your family, your church family, with that kind of kingdom orientation that we have? a calling and a commitment to be a part of what God is doing and all around us, our, our neighbors, beyond. Will we pray with that kind of kingdom orientation? Will we pray with that kind of grace-fueled understanding that God is at work in our church family, in our homes? Will we pray for our understanding of what God is doing in bold love? Will we pray for endurance? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for um, these requests and prayers of Paul. Lord, teach us to pray that way. Um, Help us to have those kind of kingdom prayers. Lord, we know that you are at work. We trust you to do it. Uh, We trust you to transform this church family to be more and more part of what you're doing all around us. And even when life gets hard and harder, or persecution may come, Lord, may we be steadfast to the very end and love boldly like your son loved boldly. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.